Alright, tonight we're going to continue our study in the Gospel according to John. Last week I completed the analysis of John 14.12. And when time expired, we were about to begin a study of John 14.13-21. So we've got a lengthy <clears throat> number of Scriptures here. So I'm going to read in the from the NIV... After we use 1 John 1, 9, let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come together and to study Your Word. Guide us now and direct us, for I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Alright, here we go. John fourteen thirteen through 21. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth will be that counselor, of course. The Word cannot accept Him. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Alright, these verses no doubt confuse the apostles just as they have confused a large number of church-age believers. And uh, the fact of confusing the characteristics in each is common. That is, in each dispensation is common. Doubtless the greatest error into which many devout Bible interpreters fall. Alright, that is a partial quote from, again, Lewis Perry Chafer. Alright, the best way to teach these verses is to review the doctrine of the kingdom. And uh, the best work I've ever seen on that, again, was Lewis Perry Chafer uh, in uh, his book, Grace. Uh, but uh, the kingdom is different just as every other dispensation has differences. So we're just going to take off now and go to the doctrine of the kingdom. And I think that's the best way to study these verses. If you read those verses and think about where we've been, we've covered much of that material previously, which only proves that the Lord also believed in repetition. Now let's see what we can do here with the kingdom. And we're talking about the kingdom age. And the kingdom age is when Christ was on the face of the earth and He offered His kingdom to Israel. Point one, Christ's argument in Matthew 12.28 seems to be that His expulsion of demons is proof enough 
of his offering the messianic kingdom to Israel. Just like John said, he came unto his own, and his own believed him not. But as many as did believe him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. All right, Matthew twelve twenty eight again. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come in or unto you. All right, this act was one of numerous evidences provided by the Lord that the kingdom of God, that is to say, the offering of the earthly kingdom to Israel with its four unconditional covenants had come. And you'll recall the four covenants are the Abrahamic, Palestinian, Davidic, and New Covenant. And we have a doctrine of the four unconditional covenants on the internet under Pastor Mary's study books. We treat them both individually and we treat them collectively. All right, now then, interpreting the teachings of Christ. Scholars have found the synoptic gospels exceedingly difficult to interpret. These four books chronicle a unique era in God's plan for human history. The Gospels reveal our Lord's sinless life and saving work. But the record of His earthly ministry also includes His kingdom platform and His prophecy of Israel's future persecution. And we have a chart on page 2 there that shows you how certainly... The God incarnate on earth, which is when Caius, of course, presented his kingdom to Israel, both separates and connects. Separates Israel from the church and connects Israel to the church. More of that as we go forward. Alright, in fact, the kingdom age, as can be seen by that chart, separates and connects Israel with the church. Consequently, as a certainty, an accurate interpretation of the Gospels requires an understanding of dispensations, probably more so than any of the other dispensations. All right, I want to again review a quote from Lewis Perry Chafer in its entirety regarding the Kingdom Age. When reading a Gospel, particularly a synoptic Gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Alright, when reading a gospel, the church age believer must keep in mind to whom these books have primary application, and that is Israel. He came unto his own, first chapter of the book of John, and his own did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. So he came unto his own. So primary application is Israel. Alright, according to the scriptures, all time is divided into dispensations. Due recognition of the essential character of each of these dispensations is the key to the understanding of the Bible. The fact of confusing the characteristics in each is common and is doubtless the greatest error into which many devout Bible interpreters fall because without an understanding of dispensations it is impossible to understand the Bible I remember once when I was traveling with one of the 
the head men of the Gideons, we stopped by a particular Baptist church. I can't even remember where it was now. But we saw the preacher coming out and he had a Schofield Bible. And I remember the guy said, look at there. He's got a Schofield Bible. And I know he knows about the Bible. And when we talked to the minister, uh, he indicated that he had gone to the seminary and was totally confused as a former pastor that we had here testified to that fact and how finally when uh, we both got uh, involved with Colonel Thieme's ministry and dispensations, etc., we began to understand the Bible. But this guy said um, that he uh, had met with the various people in various seminaries and he said and we used to meet with the Dallas theological folks now that's when they were an outstanding seminary and uh, he said we would sit at a table they would be on one side and we would be on the other side and he said we had questions and they had answers and uh, I thought that is so appropriate when you know dispensations you can get some answers but again you have to be uh, consistent uh, like a bulldog. Stay after it, you know. All right, let's go. When absolute, or excuse me, with absolute authority, Jesus Christ presented himself to Israel as the son of David, the king of Israel, the Messiah. John four twenty five and 26. The woman, the Syrophoenician lady, said unto him, I know that Messias cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Alright, then in John 10.36, Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. Or thou blasphemes, because I said I am the Son of God. Alright, John 9, 36 and 37, He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And then in Matthew four seventeen, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And it was after that particular point in the history of Jesus' time on the earth, the last time He said it was near. But that was early on. But He knew that there would be a rejection. And the first three sets of verses that I provided for you there, most people don't know. You talk to people and they'll say, Did Jesus ever say He was the Son of God? Did Jesus ever say He was the Messiah? And I didn't put them all down here because I've done that for you before. But yes, He did. Several times. He is the Son of God. And He said, I will go to the cross and I will die on the cross and I will be resurrected. And you remember when we went previously at one of our studies in this Gospel account, Jesus said that over and over and over and over to His disciples and they never did catch on. Mainly, however, before we get too arrogant, 
because they didn't have the Holy Spirit like we have. But it still takes us, it still takes a little effort and consistency to show up when doctrine is taught. And the more you teach Bible doctrine, uh, unfortunately, uh, the less popular that it is. It's just not popular to teach the Word of God. Because it, uh, quote, to those who are not positive, it's boring. And they don't understand. And uh, I remember one such person going to this church said, why is it that God made it so complicated? Why didn't He just say one, two, three, four? And I said, He did. But you have to come. And that person was not consistent and in fact left the church. But uh, it takes effort and it takes time and it takes consistency and that's difficult to come by, especially today. Just think about the church today. Just think about those who don't even darken the doors of the church. They know so little. And then sometimes we wonder why they're susceptible to so much false doctrine. Alright, with absolute authority, Jesus Christ presented Himself to Israel as the Son of David, the King of Israel, the Messiah. Alright, and then we have those verses that we provided where He actually did that. Now let's go to point five. Christ's presentation took many forms. Matthew in particular recorded most of these offerings. For example, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be known as the Son of God, that he would come from the lineage of Abraham, that he, he that he would come from the lineage of Jacob, that he would come from the tribe of Judah, that he would come from the line of Jesse, that he would come from the house of David, that Herod would slaughter the children of Israel at the time of his birth, that he pre-existed his incarnation, that he shall be called Lord, that he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us, that he shall be a prophet, that he shall be a priest, that he shall be a judge, that he shall be called a king, that he shall have a special anointing of the Holy Spirit, that he would be zealous for God, that he would be preceded by a messenger, that his ministry would begin in Galilee, that he would have a ministry of miracles, that he would teach by means of parables, that he would come to his temple, that he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey leading a colt, that he would be a stone of stumbling for Israel, that he would be a light to the Gentiles, that he would be resurrected, that he would ascend to the side of God where he would sit in the place of honor, that he would be betrayed by a friend, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that the money for the betrayal would be thrown at the feet of the priest, that the proceeds would be used to buy a pauper's grave, that the proceeds would be used to, again, <clears throat> duplication, uh, buy a pauper's, pauper's grave, and of course that his disciples would forsake him and that he would be accused by false witnesses. So these are just a few of many, 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 many prophecies that have been fulfilled and there's a record of them. Point six. Let me read that. Most important. Christ performed many miracles which drew attention to himself as the Savior of mankind and King of the Jews. You can go to Pastor Merritt's study books 
where you will find 353 such prophecies under the title, He the Christ. The chart can also be found on the internet under the title, 353 Prophecies Fulfilled in Christ. Example. Now I will mention when you go to the internet and you go to Pastor Merritt's study books, you'll find that that chart. It's a huge chart. Think of it. 353 prophecies fulfilled in Christ. And uh, you just hit that and it comes on your screen. Go to Pastor Merritt's study books. And it is there that we give credit to who uh, came up with that chart. And you'll see that under Pastor Merritt's study books. We certainly didn't come up with it. We meaning me. But uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful chart. I'll tell you how I came upon it. Ann Giles gave me a big chart about, uh, you know, I, I remember about that long. What's, what's that, about three feet wide and five feet? And I hung it in my bathroom. And one day, it, and it, ha- it has these 353 promises and where they're fulfilled. Promises fulfilled. Promises fulfilled. Promises fulfilled. 353 times. And I told Tommy, I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna capture all that information and put it on the end, uh, put it on our study books. So I started and I thought, uh oh, I can't do this. This is gonna take way too long. I don't have that much time to do this. Then I thought, the Lord's well, the Holy Spirit gave me an idea. Son, he calls me son. Son, you need to look on the internet. And so I went to the internet and lo and behold, there it was. So I was able to capture it, of course, and, and uh, act like it was mine. But uh, 353 promises with the fulfillment, the scriptures. Wonderful, wonderful piece of work. Alright, let's look at Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 and 24. Jesus went out, went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and the, he healed them. Alright, he announced his kingdom policy in three major speeches. And here they are. The Olivet Discourse, the Upper Room, the Sermon on the Mount. Alright, different messages for two different audiences. Let's take a look at that. Different messages for two different audiences. Alright, the truth taught by Jesus Christ can apply to believers of any dispensation. But there is a difference between a legitimate application from a passage of Scripture and the precise interpretation of that passage. There may be many edifying applications that greatly benefit believers in a practical way. But good scholarship or as we would say, rightfully dividing the word, demands an accurate and precise interpretation. Interpretation requires that each passage be analyzed in its context while at the same time giving due consideration to whom it is addressed. Alright, 
Who is the audience to whom Christ speaks in the synoptic Gospels? These Gospels can be accurately interpreted only when Christ's ministry to Israel is understood and distinguished from his ministry to the church. The synoptics, of course, remember Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Alright, two illustrations will emphasize the dispensational orientation required in an, in analyzing the Gospels. The Olivet and Upper Room Discourses. He delivered both of these great messages after Israel had rejected him as the Messiah. Both are prophetic, but there are significant differences. So let's take a look at each of these messages. We'll take Actually, all three of them. I only mentioned two, though, in the near context. But we'll have the Olivet Discourse first. The immediate context of the Olivet Discourse deals with Christ's prediction of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. You remember he was speaking with his disciples. And keep in mind, the temple was the focal point of Jewish worship. And the disciples, as Jews, were concerned about the promised future of their nations. And I can just see them all sitting along a rock wall talking to one another. And there was the temple. And that, of course, got their eyes on the temple. And what's the Lord going to say about the temple? Now, the temple was the focal point of Jewish worship. And the disciples, as Jews, were concerned about the promised future of their nation. This would certainly include, of course, the future of the focal point, the temple. They asked Christ the same question as they would again ask just before his ascension. When would he establish his kingdom as the completion and consummation of all Jewish history? When would he establish his kingdom as the completion and consummation? All right, Matthew 24, 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Acts 1 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And that, of course, was just before he was rising up, uh, the ascension, and going to be with his father, and they saw him disappear amidst the clouds. But they asked first, when are You're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Said another way, when would he fulfill God's unconditional covenants with Israel? At the time of the Olivet Discourse, the disciples knew little, if anything, about the church, meaning us. The covenants were Abrahamic, Palestinian, Davidic, and New. Their understanding would be significantly improved with the coming of God the Holy Spirit. They also did not know there would be an intervening period between the first and second advents. And I have provided a chart which shows what we call the intercalation, the insertion of the church age between two Jewish ages, between the kingdom age and the tribulation. And there it is. Alright, now let's look at Acts 2.14, reading through verse 20. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. 
It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my parents, for even on my parents, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now certainly we know that everything he said there is true, but he had no idea that that's going to be, we're going to have an intervening age. And so when he says that this is what was meant by Joel, actually it wasn't what was meant by Joel unless you understand the dispensation chart. But certainly Peter didn't. He thought they were supposed to stay there and wait for Christ to come back right away. No idea about an intercalation. No idea about an insertion. And uh, that, of course, had to wait until time and the Holy Spirit working with them individually. It was not going to happen right away. All right, because... And that's why you need dispensations. Now, Peter didn't have that information at this particular point in time. He thought, well, Christ came, Christ is going to come right back, and we're going to have a kingdom for Israel. That's what they believed. And that kingdom for Israel would be, of course, Him ruling the world, and they would be magnadomo. All right, that is Israel would be. Alright, the Olivet Discourse answers a specific question about Israel and guarantees a future for Israel by announcing the tribulation and the inauguration of the millennium. The events described by Christ in the Olivet Discourse summarize the Old Testament prophecies of Israel's future. The discourse is distinctly Jewish. Matthew 24, verse 15, and then 29 through 30. And I shall read. So when you see, standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Now dropping down to verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now verse 30, At that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So clearly, uh, there's evidence in the Gospels of events future, eschatological events. But no clear, definite understanding did the early disciples have and the even apostles as they started a growth process. And that's exactly what happens to each of us. We begin to grow when we take in the Word of God and understand dispensational uh, aspects. Alright, that is to doctrine. So the events of the discourse occurred in Judah, Matthew twenty four fifteen and 16. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet 
Stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now all of you know what that's talking about. Because you have had Bible doctrine, Bible doctrine, Bible doctrine. You understand. This is talking about a future event that's going to span again the rest of the kingdom age and then of course the church age and uh, then we'll have a, the uh, tribulation. That is certainly unavailable at this particular particular point in time to the disciples. And that's why we can better understand when they saw Jesus crucified, they were so sad. They were just devastated because they thought He was the Son of God and He was going to implement His kingdom immediately. And even after the Holy Spirit came and they spoke in tongues, you can see how Peter was giving them a totally erroneous uh, interpretation of events which had just occurred. Now he's eventually going to get it, but it's going to take some time. And the Holy Spirit will work with each of them individually. And that, of course, is what the epistles are all about. Alright, now let's, uh, I got the map in there. Why do I have the map in there? Because it says they are to flee into the mountains. Which mountains? Well, we really don't know which mountains. Most people will say, well, that's like Mount Judah. Because they're going to go south. Because there they are in the tribulation. And all of a sudden they see the abomination that causes desolation prophesied by Daniel. That is the Antichrist. He's got a head wound. They lay him out. He's in the temple, the uh, tribulation temple. And he begins to raise up and they see him raising up. And uh, then, of course, a little time passes and then Christ comes back. That's their view at that time. A little time and boom, Christ comes back. As opposed to the dispensation chart, when as you well know, they will have the kingdom age, then you'll have an interim age, then you'll have, of course, the church age, and then you'll have a tribulation, and then the second advent. So it's so important to understand eschatology. And yet you have preachers, and I've heard them, why do you preach pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, and critique them all, uh, when it just causes division among the churches. Well, that's because about three-fifths of the Bible is about eschatology. As you can tell, as we have seen already in our little lesson tonight. Alright, so the events of the discourse occurred in Judah. Let them be in Judea, who happen to be there, flee into the mountains. That's talking about in the middle of the tribulation. When the Antichrist recovering from a serious head wound, is revived and all under the leadership of, again, his partner, his buddy, the false prophet who will be leading them. Alright, now let's go ahead with this Olivet Discourse dissertation. The Olivet Discourse recognized the Jewish Sabbath, Matthew 24.20. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, says Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew in chapter 24, verse 20. His message anticipated many false applications of the distinctly Jewish hope for the Messiah, Matthew 24, 23. 
and I'll read. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there He is, do not believe it. In fact, Jesus explicitly declares that the Jewish people will be preserved until all these things take place. I tell you the truth, says Matthew 24, 34. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Footnote. The meaning here of this generation is not the generation, of course, that he's addressing. It refers to the generation of Jews who will see the worldwide evangelism and the return of the Lord. Many people say, well, that generation didn't see that. Well, read the context. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the generation he's speaking to. That generation at that time will, of course, uh, that is the subject of that. So let me read that one again. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all things have happened. Footnote. The meaning of this generation refers to that generation of Jews who will see the worldwide evangelism and the return of the Lord. That, by the way, is also a footnote in the Schofield Bible. Alright, therefore the Olivet... Whoops, whoops, whoops. Therefore, the Olivet Discourse is addressed only to Israel in a context of divine discipline for rejecting the Messiah. He described his own death on the cross as the blood of the covenant a term for the Mosaic Law. Matthew twenty six twenty eight compared with Matthew five seventeen, Romans ten four, and Hebrews ten one. And let's read together. Here we go. Matthew twenty six twenty eight. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Romans 10.4 Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Hebrews 10.1 The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Now in fact, Christ came to fulfill all five divine covenants with Israel, both the conditional and the unconditional alike. The major conditional covenant, of course, was the Mosaic Law. The unconditional, the Abrahamic, Palestinian, Davidic, and New. Alright, Hebrews 9.28 So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. So our Lord's incarnation fulfilled the commandments of the Mosaic Law. Matthew 5.18 I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Alright, Christ's sinless and substitutionary death for the sins of mankind were the reality of the law's liturgy. They had long been anticipated by the ceremonies of first the tabernacle and later the temple worship practices. And goodness knows we've been over that numerous times. How the training aids were in the tabernacle. The training aids were in the temple. And they taught by way of training aid. Uh, 
Alright, the law and the prophets has protocol plans for Israel ended with the coming of Christ. Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man pressed unto it or into it. He delivered both of these great messages after Israel had rejected him as the Messiah. Both are prophetic, but there are significant differences. All right, let's take the upper room discourse. Remember, you had the Olivet discourse, and then you have the upper room discourse. The three that I listed earlier. All right, in contrast, Christ addressed the upper room discourse to his disciples as the nucleus of the approaching church age. John 17, 20 and 21, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. So these same twelve, that is the Jewish disciples, were considered from the nation of Israel. Judas was present, but did not like what Jesus said. In other words, I started to say the same eleven, but actually Judas was there. He was listening in the upper room. He talked to him just as much as he talked to all the rest of them. Alright, so the same twelve Jewish disciples were considered separate from the nation of Israel. Now let me read you John 13, 33-34 and then chapter 15 beginning in verse 18. Here we go. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you so that you must, so you must love one another. And then John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong, beginning now on the next page with John fifteen nineteen. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And as as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now dropping down to verse 25. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Counselor comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So this message of His glorification reveals unprecedented assets for the church age believer. Of course, which will indeed glorify Him, the Lord Jesus, to the maximum. The content of this upper room discourse is new, new stuff. Nowhere in the entire national heritage of Israel has any believer personally in union with the Messiah, indwelt by Him or indwelt by the Holy Spirit as described in this final discourse before the cross. Now keep in mind it is significant that all of a sudden we shifted gears from the synoptic to John's Gospel. 
because John had a different message. He didn't go back to the very beginning when Christ, you know, was born and they had the commandment to go back to where you were born and it's going to be, you're going to be taxed, etc. John just starts off with, I'll say, for lack of a better term, meat, M-E-A-T. So nowhere in the entire national heritage of Israel was any believer personally in union with the Messiah, indwelt by Him or indwelt by the Holy Spirit as described in this final discourse before the cross. John 14, verse 16, and we shall read in part at least through John 17, 26. Alright, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And then here we go with verse 23. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me even as you loved me. You will love them even as you love me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So an hour of momentous change had arrived. The church was now in view, though his teaching about her was still, was still veiled. The sweeping change fully presented in the New Testament epistles departs from God's original covenants with Israel. By definition, Israel was consecrated and separate from other nations. But soon Jews and Gentiles were to be indistinguishable in Christ. God is not contradictory. Notice good old Galatians 3.28. Now in the church age there is neither Jew nor Gentile. For in this age we are, we are, after faith in Christ, all one in Christ. So the conclusion is that Israel was no longer in the spotlight. She had rejected her Messiah. God remained true to His Word, however, by not permanently rejecting her, but of course, taking the initiative by turning her refusal into an opportunity to demonstrate His grace even the more. As a result, His future entry into His kingdom as the Son of David will be all the greater by His calling of the bride, us, the church. In terms of divine administration, God has shifted 
his historic focus to a new body of believers, the church. These two famous prophetic discourses by our Lord differ significantly, even though they were presented only days apart. Matthew 26, 1, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. But they perfectly meshed within a dispensational framework. Future Israel, not the church, must be alert for the triumph, second advent, triumphant, second advent of Christ. And we'll pick up the Sermon on the Mount discourse next week. The Lord willing, the creek doesn't rise. And very quickly, let me just say that if you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are out there in computer land, it's time for you to do that right now. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, God loved the world and gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now let's close her out with a prayer. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to study the kingdom as we seek to understand more and more about uh, Your wonderful Word. And I would ask that God the Holy Spirit would take that which I have presented, make it real in order that we might grow in Your grace. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.